This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Today, we explore the state of crypto and what to expect in 2024. Now, the story is, as we all know, a little bit of a roller coaster ride. In 2021, Bitcoin surged to an all-time high of $69,000 per coin. A year later, it was a different story and 2022 proved to be a, let's call it, tough year for the crypto industry. Between the Terra Luna collapse and the fall of FTX's crypto exchange and Sam Bankman-Fried, investors in the space saw billions in losses and looked to have been rattled, or at least the, the conference in crypto looked to have been rattled. Bitcoin began 2023, a year ago, at just above $16,000 a coin. Today, it's up 168% on year, hovering around the $43,000 mark, if I see the, if I'm looking at the Bloomberg correctly. Some factors that have seemingly helped over the last year include, one, the ironically, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, which Forbes contributor, crypto contributor and content lead for Australian startup crypto tax calculator uh, noted was a pivotal event that brought back crypto into the limelight after a 2024 bear market. Then the key thing here was that it brought back this conversation around the value of peer-to-peer currencies and decentralization in the wake of an apparent bank failure or traditional banking framework failure. Later in the year, there was more optimism surrounding the spot Bitcoin and Ether exchange traded funds or ETFs. Uh, Notable headlines here include BlackRock's proposed spot Bitcoin ETF appearing on the American Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation website, as well as the court win uh, by Grayscale versus the SEC regarding the proposed conversion of their Grayscale Bitcoin trust into an ETF. This was also a move that was uh, was watched by the industry. Uh, Fidelity and BlackRock also applied for spot ETF ETFs as well. That said, it was not all positive news. Uh, in June 2023, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission of the US, accused Binance and Coinbase of offering unregistered securities to the public, among other allegations. And there were some legal uh, actions that came from this, um, uh, including the classification of cryptocurrencies, whether they are securities, commodities, or something else entirely. And then we saw in November, Binance pleading guilty to a criminal charge and agreed to a $4.3 billion billion in fines to resolve a long-running Department of Justice investigation. This, of course, saw Binance founder CZ pleading guilty to violating criminal US anti-money laundering rules and agreed to resign. So a lot going on, a lot happened in 2023. These are some of the key points here. If you have any thoughts, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile number. That's 018-789-8899. Or you can reach us on Twitter uh, at BFM Radio, or as it's now known as X. For more on what happened in crypto in 2023 and the outlook for 2024, Enterprise explores this with Zhong Yang Chan, the head of research with, world, with the world's largest independent cryptocurrency data aggregator, CoinGecko. We also have in the studio with us Han Liu, founder and CEO of Halogen Capital, the first licensed fund manager in Malaysia specializing in digital assets. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the studio. Hi, Roshan. Afternoon. Afternoon, everyone. Thanks, Roshan. Nice to, nice to be here again. How are you both doing? Uh, Zhang, I saw you about a year ago in the yeah. studio as well. We talked again about the state of crypto. Um, and Han, it's been a while as well. Good to see you both in the studio. Yep. And uh, excited? How's the new year been? Anything exciting going on? 
Oh, I guess uh, you know ha- having young children makes uh, <laughs> uh, makes a new year not so not so uh, exciting, but certainly a happy new year uh, we had, and happy new year to everyone in the room too. Yeah, I think I think from from my perspective, I think the mood is very different now from from a year ago when when we last chat, and I'm mm. sure we'll get into it. Yeah. Yes, the mood is definitely different. I mean, one example, as I noted earlier, Bitcoin uh, from sixteen thousand dollars a coin a year ago is now hovering around the forty three thousand dollar mark. So a big change there. Um, so let's get into it then. Uh, I noted some of those uh, those milestones of the year, but from your both your perspectives, uh, what were the most significant trends? in the global crypto market that emerged in 2023. Uh, Jean, let's start with you. Yeah, I think, um, thanks Roshan. I think like you mentioned, you know, certainly the what started as ETF rumors that sort of became real, real ETF conversations around a, a spot Bitcoin ETF in the US um, uh, definitely was the big driver of uh, price and optimism around the industry. I think, you know, when if, if we just rewind again back to a year ago, uh, sitting down here, and if you told me that you know the US SEC or the US was was very close to approving a, a your US spot a Bitcoin ETF as as close as next week, uh, I would tell you that's impossible. Like the the mood was just was just different, and, and it didn't seem like a viable path forward. Uh, but here we are, um, and you know. Not only are we looks like we will have a, a spot Bitcoin ETF in the US, it's going to come from some of the big boys, right? The likes of BlackRock, Fidelity, Franklin Templeton have all thrown their hats into the ring, uh, along with you know the other, other, other more crypto native um, sort of fund managers, I guess. And uh, that's 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 really been what's uh, driving you know a lot of uh, accumulation of Bitcoin, you know, in in anticipation of of, of this approval throughout twenty twenty three. And Han yourself, uh, entering the asset management space, focusing on, I guess, parallel businesses here in terms of some of the things that have come up. Talk to us a little bit about the trends that you were seeing. And I guess also maybe a little bit of uh, background into, um, because you joined the crypto space, not your first rodeo. Uh, you were you helped found, you founded uh, Ringgit Plus. Now you founded another company, but it was arguably, you could say, in a uh, market downturn for crypto. So talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the rationale for that and some of the trends that played into this. Yeah, I think, um, you know, being in fintech for a long time, I've been in fintech for 12, 13 years now, 2024, right? 13 years in Malaysia now, uh, you can't get away from uh, crypto, right? If you're in fintech, people tend, tend to ask me, hey, Han, you're in fintech, so tell me about crypto. I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm technically, I was technically not in, in crypto. Um, so naturally, like, that, that leads you on to find out, hey, what, are this, what is the thing that people keep asking me about? And this was kind of 2019, 2020 times. Uh, when things were not so much in despair. Um, <laughs> but what I found from, you know, spending time with crypto people, including people like Jong, is that, you know, the best times to build is during the times when things are less exuberant because then you, you start thinking about proper business models. You start thinking about what adds value to the market. You start thinking about uh, what is crypto actually for beyond, you know, all that exuberance, like ignoring all that stuff. And it's easy to ignore all that stuff when it, when things are, you know, yeah. in the depths of despair. Yeah, the market, the, the prices are not looking that well. You don't check it every other hour, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, so, I mean, for me, like, it's just about the discovery around this new alternative uh, 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 way of, of not just transacting, which is the, the common thing, and not just storing value, which is the common thing that people think about, but uh, alternative way of just doing life, doing business, doing, like, you know, societies, clubs, uh, um, friendships, whatever it may be. I think uh, crypto enables a lot of that stuff. And I think, uh, I mean, going back to the theme of 2023, I think like one of the big things that that, that came out was the, the Sil- Silicon Valley Bank 
uh, Signature Bank and even Credit Suisse, you know, yeah. 150, 130-year-old bank going down, which then, you know, increases a lot of people's awareness towards, hey, look, like actually huge, well-known, historic banks, right? It's Credit Suisse, you know, the largest banks in the world, right? Um, can go down. We, we need surely something else, right? And, and the deposit of, the, of that bank may or may not have been rescued at that time. It, they were in the end, but, you know, if you're sitting there as a depositor, you might, you might, you, you, you're sitting in a, you know, a tremendously uncertain space. Mm-hmm. And that's when people search out for alternatives, right? And I think in that March, April time period, crypto really came to the fore, specifically Bitcoin, um, as a, an alternative to the global banking system that we had. I think there was a lot of learning and awareness around that. So that if you ask me, a big turning point in 2023 was was that. Was that the key trend that you were watching last year or were there other things that you know, caught your attention? I mean, naturally, as a as an asset manager, I also look at what other asset managers do. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's there's no uh, no larger asset manager in the world than BlackRock, the mm. largest. I think they have 11, 12 trillion now, probably, uh, of US dollars of assets under management. When the largest asset manager in June applies for uh, uh, a spot a ETF. Big, yeah, a Bitcoin product, right? Yeah. It just happened to be an ETF. It could have been anything. It could have been a unit trust. It could have been a, uh, um, it could have been an, uh, you know, they, they could have um, um, done other stuff, like index fund, ETF, unit trust, whatever it may be. Uh, when the largest asset manager, the largest, right, um, gets into the space, you know institutions are coming. And, and we as an institution here in Malaysia, obviously very excited by that. So you ask me, uh, those two key trend, trends, um, the banking crisis in March, April, and, and BlackRock at L means all the others coming into the space um, probably soon, right? Um, and I guess the, the third thing to add that we try not to stay too close to crypto, just crypto. We try to look beyond crypto. And, and actually last year, 2023, was a pretty good year for risk on assets. I think Nasdaq was up mm. 40, 40 odd percent. And, and crypto tends to follow uh, risk, on assets. Uh, risk on assets um, at, at this juncture in its existence, right? Because, you know, when there's risk on, there's liquidity in the market, crypto tends to perform well, and it certainly did in 2023. So we cannot ignore that, I guess. Even as crypto people, yeah. we, we like to think it's all crypto driven, yeah. but quite a lot of it is also driven by the broader market, you know, outlook. So we got to thank uh, ChatGPT for all this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit of a strange one. I mean, like, you know, it's against the backdrop, uh, the backdrop of, you know, the Fed hiking rates and yeah. all that, right? So we're not supposed to have so much liquidity going around. Um, but but yeah, I mean it's it's been an interesting year I think for for risk on assets in general because you know you're supposed to be a liquidity constraint growth is supposed to be slowing down and you know people have been talking about recession for like twelve months or so but still I mean it's not coming yeah. where is yeah. it where is it the, the always uh, impending soft landing um, uh, but you know we'll see how that plays out I think I think a lot of the sentiment reports and surveys seem to indicate consumers are going to be a bit more conservative, but that's also the same thing that people were saying last year. Uh, But the fact that institutions are in play as well in the crypto space, I think provides a lot more bullishness there. And the fact that, you know, the NASDAQ uh, was up a significant amount, I think was one of the leading uh, performers last year, led by, I mean, uh, AMD. AMD had a great year as well. The chip shortage uh, continues to be play into like at the end of the day you need chips for generative AI uh, and that seems to have just let as you pointed out Han the risk on uh, asset surge here um, was there anything else in I guess when we look at the macro scope here was there anything else uh, Zhang that you were paying attention to or had a had a impact on the crypto market so things like you know higher interest rates and all these things play into the market but was there anything else that we maybe we haven't covered yet mm. 
I think what's 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 probably less talked about is is China and mm-hmm. all all the things that's happening with China. Um, even though officially, obviously, um, crypto is banned in China, but I think there's still significant um, Chinese presence um, in in the market, um, whether trading or you know participating in trading or mining and and other projects as well. A lot of the a lot of the exchanges, as you know, uh, have Chinese origins. Um, so. What's happening there in terms of you know slowing economy? Maybe the government will stimulate. Maybe they will not stimulate. Right? Um, what's happening with the housing crisis and consumer sentiment there is also going to be an interesting thing to watch. I think certainly in in twenty twenty four as well. Uh, and obviously, there's the Hong Kong experiment that's mm. going on. Right? Um, Hong Kong has sort of embraced crypto. Uh, you know, giving out licenses to exchanges, fund managers. Um, you know, being very open. I would say about you know drawing. Drawing, drawing crypto companies, crypto businesses into Hong Kong, and sort of trying to, I think, compete, you know, go back to competing with Singapore for to to be the the home for Asia, right? Uh, and and I think you know that's something that we're watching very closely as well. I think from an Asian perspective, you know, South Korea has been very strong in terms of volumes. Uh, I think followed closely by Japan. Uh, but yeah, we're we're waiting to see if if Hong Kong, given its close proximity to China and and all of that, right? All all the all the you know long-standing advantages of <laughs> of Hong Kong being Hong Kong, um, can result in it being a, a pillar of the crypto industry in in Asia as well. Can I can I jump in? I yeah. don't know. Um, ask you a question, Jong. Do you see it being like a you know cognitive dissonance with with China and Hong Kong? So they have, I mean, <laughs> like so China's banned crypto, and then you yeah. you have. I mean, we are obviously looking very closely at Hong Kong because yeah. they've they've now opened up since June. I think um, yeah. um, in terms of their regulatory environment, so it's actually quite similar to here in Malaysia now yeah. that, that they have you know licensed uh, participants yeah. in crypto, but the Greater China is just still like no, you can't have this. I I, I think the 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 official messaging. Let's let's say the official messaging coming out from Hong Kong is obviously like. You know, this is the test bit, right? This is where the innovation is supposed to happen. And, you know, you know, China has actually been very heavy into blockchain as a technology, right? Just that they don't like their, their, their citizens or, or people in China speculating on, say, you know, tokens or NFTs and things like that. Um, so, 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 so it's an interesting one. And I think, you know, for, from, from, a, from a, just looking at a broader picture of like, you know, financial hub and, you know, there's, there's always this competition going on. I think Hong Kong has maybe lost its luster a bit in, in the last 12 months. And I see this as, you know, one of the moves that they are making to sort of recapture that, that, that image and things like that. So I think the definitely the the regulatory moves are, are serious. I think they're they're cutting pretty much everybody um, mm. to to try to get them to go back. Um, definitely, talent. That there was a there was a outflow of you know capital, but also talent. And these are the people that you know they're trying to bring back into their market as well. Yeah. I would love to touch a little further on that, and also where Malaysia ranks in terms of volumes and in terms of the uh, crypto landscape in Southeast Asia. But we'll get into that in a few minutes, folks. You're listening to the all new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Today, we're exploring what happened in crypto in 2023 and the outlook in 2024, and we'll be back in just a few minutes after a few messages. I'm Roshan Kandison. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Because friends matter. BFM 89.9, the business station. 
BFM 89.9, you're now listening to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Today, we're exploring the state of crypto with Zhongyang Chan, Head of Research at CoinGecko. They're the world's largest independent cryptocurrency data aggregator and based here in Malaysia. And we've also got Han Liu, founder and CEO of Halogen Capital, the first licensed fund manager in Malaysia specializing in digital assets. We're talking about what happened in crypto in 2023 and the outlook in 2024. And some of the key things to note from last year was the fact that we saw Binance uh, pleading uh, guilty to criminal charges and the CEO and founder CZ also uh, pleading guilty to uh, anti-money laundering regulations. Uh, but the rest of the year was quite Good in the sense that in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank's fall, there was a little bit more discussion over the role of decentralized finance. And of course, we saw the big financial institutions such as BlackRock and Fidelity looking at ETFs for Bitcoin, but that's for BlackRock and Fidelity was looking at Ether ETFs as well. So a lot of developments and uh, Bitcoin is up about 160% on year since last year. Uh, in the studio with me, as I mentioned, are Zhong and Han. Um, gentlemen, the we were wrapping up uh, in the pre- before we went through a few messages. We were talking a little bit about the landscape in Asia, the role Hong Kong seemingly wants to play in terms of uh, crypto, opening up regulations there, courting players into the ecosystem. Uh, how maybe trying to compete with Singapore? How the Singapore, uh, South Korea, and Japan markets uh, have their own volumes as well. Um, Zhang, give us a bit of a landscape in terms of the Asian situation, right? Asian, Southeast Asian, in terms of what the crypto landscape looks like uh, here. Mm, I, I think you know, crypto is a is a, is a global sort of community and a global industry, mm. and certainly, I think you know, uh, that that means that you know, startups, companies, projects can come from all places, and certainly, you know, like us, you mentioned that you know we're from here. Uh, CoinGecko and you know we also have Etherscan so one of the largest uh, blockchain explorers out there uh, they're also based in Malaysia so certainly I think Asia has its fair share of projects right um, historically China has also been very important to 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 the crypto industry right from the early days of, of mining uh, and then you know supporting Vitalik with Ethereum and, and, and so on and so forth right so India is also a big market and, and you know pre- pretty much I think you know uh, Asia has always been a hotbed for people to to build projects. You'll be surprised at how many Asian founders of of projects there are, uh, based out of even if it's you know you know not Asian but based out of Asia. Obviously, you know can call out some of the places, um, you know Singapore obviously one of the places. But you have, you know, projects based in Vietnam, in Thailand, in Malaysia, uh, from a Southeast Asian perspective. Uh, Polygon, one of the big chains, you know, they're mostly based out of India, right? So, so lots of activities, I would say, happening all across Asia. Uh, and I think this is, like I said, uh, mentioned earlier, this is reflective of, you know, the fact that crypto is, is a global community, it's mm. a global industry, and it doesn't really matter where you're based. You know, people work remote, people work around <laughs> the hour, the market never sleeps, right? It doesn't stop on weekends or or on or, or night, Um so so yeah so so you can have people participating from from all over the world. And yeah. where does Malaysia, I guess, stack up? You know, in the landscape. Uh, Malaysia is quite interesting. I think um, you know from from a trading volume perspective. I think Khan will talk a bit about this later as well. So, trading volume perspective, not that big, right? Um, and I think that's also a factor of the fact that you know, um, the regulated exchanges uh, are only MYR pad, 
right? So that that sort of limits the the market a bit in terms of you know uh, what other people do because you know other exchanges will will trade US dollars, will trade stable coins, etc. Um, but I think uh, like I said, you know, home to traditionally, I mean, home to a lot of talent, right? Um, we have uh, projects, we have people who, I guess shouldn't call it their names but like you know they, they're based here and and they contribute uh significantly to to projects out there mm. um you know we have people who contribute to the ethereum foundation we have one of the largest projects on solana that's based here in 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 malaysia as well um you know and we definitely have you know funds and investors who are, who are hungry to invest as well who are based here but pretty much on on pretty 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 low key in 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 that aspect uh but yeah i mean it's i would say it's it's a vibrant community and i think what's also interesting i would say is you know a lot of the work that we did last year was uh, working with universities so definitely i think there's oh. there's a lot of interest coming out from students as well i think almost every other university out there in malaysia now has some sort of blockchain club or a crypto club uh, and you know we've been working closely with them um, for students, give them opportunities to intern with us as well. Um, so definitely like a lot of interest coming from the young folks as well to to you know explore crypto further. Uh, Han, um, you're someone who's as we mentioned earlier, halogen capital has entered the space in the last year. Um, in in a, you entered in an environment where it, it was not the hype optimism uh, as as it was in 2021. Um, Talk to us a little bit, and you're in the asset management space, so talk to us a little bit about the volumes you're seeing here, and I guess what you, uh, where you see Malaysia in terms of, uh, in this overall crypto landscape. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we were talking offline just now around uh, comparative volumes between the largest yeah. exchanges that are, you know, that trade cryptocurrencies, allow you to trade cryptocurrencies versus, you know, the local guys we have here. And it's, you know, in the, it's, it's in the kind of quantum of, you know, uh, the hundred or hundreds of times smaller. But if you think about it in a global sense, you know, Bursa trades, you know, uh, the similar quantum down to, to the, the large exchanges. Uh, 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 globally, like you know, uh, the the large kind of uh, indices globally, the Nasdaq, NYSE. So that's not too far out of whack, if you ask me. In fact, I think uh, liquidity uh, on local exchanges, uh, you know, on a combined basis, might on Sundays exceed Versa's. So mm. uh, Versa is in Versa Malaysia's trading's trading volume. So I think that's kind of uh, gives you a bit of positive uh, uh, mindsets around. Okay, maybe crypto as an industry versus the traditional stock trading industry. Uh, might have a, an opportunity for us he's sitting here in Malaysia to, to, to kind of take a larger market share of the global market versus just looking at us and saying hey look you know, we're small we are small but uh, crypto as an industry can be larger uh, as, a, as a share of the global crypto mm. trading it's, it's not locked in by geography exactly exactly which, which then there's an opportunity for Malaysia right to, to, to at least you know claim you know, uh, not our rightful place but a larger place <laughs> a, a larger, larger place, share of the pie a larger share of the pie that we have done yeah. in the traditional markets you know around equities and, and potentially even bonds uh, with the exception of the Sharia stuff so for me that's kind of one opportunity that I see uh, uh, despite trading volumes being small comparatively globally it's still larger than actually our, our equity share globally right? our equity trading share globally so that's kind of something to, to, to point out uh, opportunity for us the second thing is that you know being a licensed asset manager here in Malaysia uh, we, we obviously trade, buy, sell uh, cryptocurrencies for our unit trusts, uh, uh, be it Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, um, you know, we also want to see who else is supplying to us in the market. And what we're seeing is 
large institutionals, not in Malaysia, but in the region. I'm, t- I'm saying Singapore, uh, you know, large, very large investment banks that you might imagine. I, I don't have to name names, mm. but you know, what the largest investment bank, uh, largest bank slash investment bank in, in Southeast Asia, opening up crypto trading desks for players such as ourselves to be able to trade with them. So um, it's not just about, you know, retail guys with their smartphones, pressing buy and sell. It's also institutionals starting to come in uh, and they started, you know, well into last year um, and coming into this year, you know, we expect them to to further expand their offerings in a, in a, at least similar to what they were doing in the traditional world, right? Equities and bonds, they're now starting to do crypto, right? And I think that's kind of uh, interesting development to see as well. Like, you know, large licensed banks uh, um, um, starting to offer trading desks, starting to offer prime brokerage, stuff like that. I guess where there is growth and there's a margin, there is appetite for business and at the day. Um, uh, Han, talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the appetite, because you, you've made some allusions there to like, we could be bigger, right? In terms of a, in terms of capital markets or financial markets, uh, crypto could play a significant role there. Do you see that appetite uh, here in Malaysia? Um, Based on what yeah, you know. I mean, like I mean, John mentioned it just now, right? There are a lot of Malaysians in crypto. Whether Malaysia itself is in crypto or is big into crypto or can contribute bigly, bigly largely <laughs> to crypto is a is a separate issue, right? So, I mean, one good thing is that we have a very very accommodative regulator. Right? Mm. What I mean by that is uh, we've had very clear clarity is important in crypto. Mm. We have very clear regulations around crypto. Uh, for the last five years, six years now, five and a half years, since 2019, right? And the, the stuff that we're talking about, Hong Kong, uh, stuff we're talking about in uh, um, uh, Europe that they're, they're introducing now, we actually have had it for the last kind of five years where crypto is very clearly not legal tender, but very clearly a security, i.e. something that you can invest in to, to, to make capital appreciation or profits or whatever you want to call it. So the, the capital market regulator here in Malaysia, uh, the SC, Securities Commission Malaysia, has been very clear on what is crypto, right? It's not some sort of alternative money for now. For now, it's an investment kind of uh, asset class. Mm-hmm. Right? And that helps a lot, right? That helps um, um, companies such as us identify, okay, if it is an asset class, investable asset class, then there needs to be stuff like asset managers. There needs to be stuff like investment banks who can offer trading. There needs to be stuff like uh, prime brokers, which can offer you know margin or, 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 or other sophisticated products to sophisticated investors. Um, and things like custodians, things like exchanges, et cetera. And that, that builds a thriving ecosystem, which then allows us to take our place or, or take a larger space within the crypto space, because it's still very early. And I think Malaysia has an opportunity to take whatever it's had over the last five years, i.e. clarity around crypto regulations and really expand on that and say, hey, look, like tell you what, we've got clarity. Now let's do expansion across the various verticals within this asset class. Um, in recent months, we've seen uh, co-keeps get their license for custodian. Um, I think uh, uh, Gambit is another one in the works. We've also seen a new license for an exchange, uh, who, which will be run or is being uh, was founded by the former Luno uh, GM for APAC. So there's a lot going on in the space still. Uh, so allusions to crypto is dead, which was the narrative by the mainstream last year, seems to be dissipating, although the hype may not be the same level back. I think some people would be quite surprised to look at their, if they open up their accounts today, they would be a bit surprised to see the values that are going on there. Um, Zhang, do you have anything to add to what Han said earlier about the potential here in Malaysia? Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I think just an interesting and, thing. And so, in particular, the regulatory clarity aspect. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think from, from a regulatory perspective, you know, um, 
it, the rules have been there. Uh, and I think uh, it's about now um, people like Han and coming in, you know, from the private sector to see what they can make of the rules, right? And I think to a certain extent, I think, you know, having been at the SC before, you know, they definitely will appreciate people having that dialogue. I think one of the, one of the f- funny things would be if you put out a regulation that nobody wanted to use. Right? <laughs> but it, I think I think with 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 crypto, that's certainly been not the case. And you know, you know, people have come in and tried to push as far as possible. And and I think it that that's that will continue to be an interesting conversation to have. Um, I think potential wise, I mean. The fact that Han has started a, a, a fund management company, right? And then we are going to have a sort of OTC and, you know, high net worth focused exchange means, you know, there are people who are willing to put in, you know, serious money in, into this space. And these people, to a certain extent, may not be that well served now at the moment. Um, certainly, definitely, I think we when, when we go out and, and we speak to some of the Malaysian community, they're always looking for solutions, right? Like this, where they can, you know, they can feel safe to to part their money to to invest in crypto, um. Like Han said, like nobody wants to you know it, once you reach a certain level, you don't want to just be you know tapping on an app on a on a smartphone. So definitely, there's there's a lot of potential there. But I think you know zooming out to to further to Southeast Asia, I think just to give you an idea, like so you know um I don't know if you know so Ethereum Foundation is is the is the people that run Ethereum right uh and. Next year, the largest oh, sorry this year this year this year twenty twenty four this year the the largest co- uh conference that they're gonna run is going to be in Bangkok. So that's announced last year. Uh, sorry, announced yesterday. They have always told people that it was going to be Southeast Asia. Uh, for this this year's conference, so it's gonna come to Bangkok. Uh, at the at the end of this year, and that's going to bring in all the talent from from everywhere. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of the other foundations, a lot of the other projects as well, investing in human capital here in Southeast Asia. A lot of them are giving out grants. A lot of them are, you know, sort of incentivizing people to participate in hackathons and things like that. So we're seeing a, a strong burst of activity. And I think that's, you know, testament to not just the, the technical talent that we have in this region, but also the people who really understand crypto and participate and know sort of what's going on as well. So so I think yeah, I think Southeast Asia definitely has a lot of potential and and you know it's it's something that everyone is watching as well from from across the crypto space. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to add really quickly like just to give people a sense of the scale around like Malaysia and not just Southeast Asia like you know uh, I should point it out point it out cuz Jong is here, right? CoinGecko is essentially the Bloomberg of crypto mm. and it's right here. Right? And I I never know if that's what you need as an investor or regulator to, or a policymaker to sit up and go, hold on, we have the, the, the equivalent of Bloomberg of crypto sitting here in Malaysia? Yes, you do. And Etherscan as well, you know, the equivalent of you know, a fact set or Morningstar sitting here in Malaysia, founded here in Malaysia. That, that should give you a lot of confidence that, hey, look, we have talent in this space. The private sector and the public sector should be looking at this closely and, and, and taking the, their cues to really to, to leverage what we have here and, and, and take a bigger share of crypto uh, bigger than we could ever dream of in the equity or bond markets. Uh, Han, uh, thank you for saying that because I think it's these kind of things that we need to be highlighting in terms of what we're building here and punching way above our weight on a global scale. Uh, we've got to go into a few more messages. We'll be back in just a bit and we'll continue this conversation. Maybe talk a little bit about expectations for Bitcoin and Ethereum as well as where the opportunities and challenges lie for the space uh, in 2024. Folks, you're listening to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headline 
lines to the bottom line. We'll be back after a few messages. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Breaking financial matters, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Today on Enterprise Explores, we are exploring the state of crypto with Zhongyang Chan, the head of research with the world's largest independent cryptocurrency data aggregator, CoinGecko. And as our, as Han put it a little earlier, our other guests in the studio, Han put it a little earlier, this is the equivalent of a Bloomberg right here based in Malaysia, built in Malaysia. And then we've also got Han Liu, founder and CEO of Halogen Capital, the first licensed fund manager in Malaysia, specializing in digital assets. Although you might be familiar with his previous work, uh, ringaplus.com. We are reviewing what happened in crypto in 2023 and the outlook in 2024. Uh, Gentlemen, I think a big thing that most people are going to know is, uh, so Bitcoin is on the rise. Um, uh, As industry stakeholders, as people working in industry, um, what are you guys expecting in terms of uh, where cryptocurrencies are going to go this year, uh, particularly Bitcoin and Ethereum? What are you seeing underlying all this? Maybe I'll let John go first in terms of the technology stuff, mm-hmm. and I'll go from kind of an investment yeah. um, thesis for 2024 in crypto. Please, that. Yeah. yeah. I think I think a lot of things have, have been happening in, in the last two years, in 2022 and 2023, in terms of building out the technology, right? Uh I think even with Bitcoin, which used to be just called digital gold and just wants to stay as some sort of alternative money, um, they have started to realize that you know they need more. I think their community have 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 woken up to the fact that they need to offer more as 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 a blockchain and as a technology. And you're see, we're seeing a lot of people start talking about um, and experimenting with. Um, improving the chain so now there are nfts on on bitcoin and people are starting to uh build sort of layer twos uh uh on bitcoin itself you know uh, and exploring that possibility again so uh so so that has been something that that's been very encouraging uh ethereum um in the last two years obviously went through the merge right where they migrated from proof of work to proof of stake and they have definitely seen a, a cornucopia i would say of of uh, <laughs> layer two sort of appear uh, and and come build on them some of the names that you may have heard of things like arbitrum optimism you know uh zk sync these are all layer twos that are, they are now built on 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 ethereum uh and even coinbase right so coinbase launched their own layer two uh called base uh, b-a-s-e on ethereum as well which was a big vote of confidence for 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 ethereum and and layer twos in in general but i think you know just purely from a technology perspective um a lot of work has been done in the last two years right so built during the bear like han said at, at the start of the segment right and and a lot of that work you're gonna see come to fruition uh, in 2024 itself because you know people are also you know sort of like IPO market right people wait for the for for markets to go better before they start announcing mm. all the good news because you know <laughs> when you announce some 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 good things during during a bad market you know people pay less attention but but I think 2024 <laughs> we're, we're starting to see you know end 2023 2024 is where all the good news and all the new stuff that that people have been working on start start getting announced um I think personally very very um happy to see all these announcements because you know we know that some of these people have been have been working hard behind behind the scenes and you know they're they're bringing all of this to the market now um, obviously that means more tokens will also come to the market so we're also gearing up for for that to to you know list and track all of this all of these tokens as well Han, expectations for crypto bitcoin and ethereum from a 
asset, a digital asset perspective, including maybe how investor attitudes have changed from 23 to 24? Sure, sure. I mean, first up, you know, end of 2022, doldrums, right? Mm. This despair, actually, for many investors. I the think death of crypto. Literally. And a uh, bit of recovery, I think the best way to describe 2023, recovery. And uh, uh, what, what to look out for, um, am I too late is a question I keep getting asked from people. <laughs> and uh, I mean, just, to, yeah, just, yeah. To, just to put things in context, like, um, you know, Bitcoin is still kind of 30, 35% below its all-time high. Ethereum is half of where it was at the start of the, or at the end of the, the start of the bear market the last time it topped out. Uh, it's half of where it was. So if you're asking, hey, look, like, am I too late? Am I too early? Uh, I'd say, like, don't worry so much about that, right? Focus on what it's coming up in 2024. So for Bitcoin and then eventually Ethereum, the big one is the, the institutional adoption of of Bitcoin through the ETFs. BlackRock is the largest asset manager. Um, I, I, I analogize it to, you know, when gold had its first ETF, I think it was 15 years ago, 2007 or eight. Um, the first gold ETF came out. Um, I think it's e-gold, e-gold, I think it's what it's called, the, the ticker. Uh, I could be wrong, but that, that precipitated a five-year bull market in, in, in gold, right? Why? Because people then could find a way to, to easily gain access to uh, without having to custody the actual gold itself and say, hey, look, I get gold performance without actually having to hold a, a gold bar. And, and there's a trusted party, someone like BlackRock, to be able to do that for me. And for the first time, um, uh, um, you know, that is also available now for Bitcoin. Um, it's coming up in the matter of days, if not if, 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 if not a week or two, next days, week. next week. So that's a big thing for investors to watch out for. The other big trend, I guess, is uh, something that happens once every four years, something called the Bitcoin halving or halvening, depending on you know which side of the coin you sit on. Um, <laughs> um, and what that is, is essentially like, you know, some, some people who may be familiar with how Bitcoin works is that there's a network of miners, which are essentially just computers securing the network. And in exchange for securing the network and, you know, uh, and solving complex puzzles, to then uh, uh, secure a network, they, they get rewards, right? And in April this year, sometime in mid-April, those rewards are going to be halved, right? So can you imagine a factory which is working very, very, very hard at doing something, creating value, and suddenly, out of no fault of their own, production is halved, right? Mm. You can think of it as a factory or a country, right? What happens to prices when production of something halves without you know any fault of their own, right? It's not like a sudden, sudden supply shock or whatever. It's literally just, you get half the, the reward. What's going to happen? And I think, uh, I don't have to be an uh, expert in you know, microeconomics to tell you that when, when demand stays the same, slash it's growing and supply halves, um, that's going to have a major impact on the asset price of that market, right? So I think those, those two things um, for Bitcoin, essentially, right? For Ethereum, a bit different. I think just you know, tacking on to what Chong said, I think for Ethereum, when, whether it can reach or exceed its all-time highs depends on the, 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 uh, the maturity of competitors, right? So going to the last bull market, 2020, 2021, Ethereum had you know, a, a clear, clear lead in terms of what its capabilities was. The world computer, I can run, you know, applications on my blockchain, blah, blah, blah. Um, but throughout 2020, 2021, there were several competitors that were coming. They probably came a bit too late, just at the start of the bear market. And then they didn't really take off to the extent that Ethereum did. They've had a whole cycle now to improve themselves, whether it's the Solanas or the Avalanches or the Optimisms or Arbitrums of the world. Yeah. Um, specifically, people like Solana, and, and Avalanche alternative L1s uh, or alternatives or competitive, direct competitors to Ethereum. Um, for me, it's about whether they, they can take, start taking some market share. Uh, um, that will determine where Ethereum goes in 2024. That's kind of the investment thesis in, in a nutshell. And that's what you're watching out uh, this year. Zhang, uh, anything to add to what Han said there? Yeah, I, I, think, I think Solana ecosystem, is, 
I think Solana ecosystem is 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 an interesting one. I think um, they were very closely associated with FTX, right? And and when FTX mm. collapsed at the end of uh, at at the end, it it sort of uh, took down most of the ecosystem together with with them. But I think against all odds, the the community really rallied um, together and and sort of made a comeback. Um, you know, they were always very performant, very fast, very cheap. Uh, but you know they were always they were also mired with in like outage issues, right? So in the early days of Solana, it was it was quite normal. Like every every couple of months, the the chain was just suddenly stopped working. Mm. Um, but you know over again over the course of 2022-2023, they've sort of introduced upgrade stability. And right now we don't see a lot of that happening right now. And you you really see uh, I think a lot of people uh, flowing back into the Solana ecosystem. Obviously, you know. It, it was like from a low, a very low point and, and coming back up. So it's definitely one of the rising ecosystems to watch. But also I think the, the community has done a, a really, really good job in, you know, sort of rallying together and, and making something out of, you know, a very, very good piece of technology. All right. Um, we've got a few more minutes here before we've got to wrap up this conversation. Um, and maybe we can wrap up on this note, right? What, what we're seeing and uh, in the last year is this sort of intermingling between TradFi and DeFi, right? So the the Black Rocks and the Fidelities coming into it. In fact, the work that you're doing, Han, is that in, is that middle ground here. Um, are we going? To, should we be expecting more of this? And what does that say about DeFi going forward? Um, Han, let's start with you and then we'll go to Jean to wrap up. No, sure. Thanks Thanks for the shout out. I think, yeah, I mean, at Halogen, we're really trying to bring uh, crypto investing to people who are maybe not that comfortable with directly holding coins. So, you know, if you hold crypto in a, in a unit trust and then you're familiar with what unit trust fund units are, um, you, you take up, you know, you invest in it easily. So that's the kind of thing that we're doing to bridge those two worlds. So we bridge it for the people who want crypto, but they don't necessarily want the complexities around uh, uh, holding the coins and securing them. So we secure it all for you. Uh, and in a familiar, auditable, compliant, IFRS compliant structure, right? You're familiar with what unit trust is. It just happens to have crypto inside rather than equities. Mm. Simple. So that's what we do with the Halogen Sharia Bitcoin Fund and uh, just launched today, Halogen Sharia Ethereum Fund, right? You can hold Bitcoin and separately Ethereum in two separate unit trusts if you like. Um, so that's one way of, of kind of how we bridge that world. The other bridge, I think, is an interesting one, which I guess we didn't have, don't have much time to talk about, but is uh, the crypto world bridging into the traditional world mm-hmm. through something called uh, real-world asset tokens, right? So um, crypto tokens, which are actually representations of um, um, real-world stuff. So in, in, a, in a nutshell, it's imagine a, 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 a equity or a bond, but it's tokenized and then gets traded as a token. That's how you bring crypto world people or crypto high net worth or crypto investors into traditional world. And that's an opportunity for Malaysia too, right? So imagine if we had tokenized, you know, Sukuk or Malaysian mm. government Sukuks, right? Then we can have crypto investors, people with USDC, stable coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, investing into Malaysian uh, uh, um, instruments bonds, yeah, through yeah. a token, right? So that's kind of the other way that, that DeFi is starting to merge with, mm. with TradFi. Definitely something we need to explore uh, in another session. Uh, Zhang, last few. Yeah, uh, I, I think that, that, that bridging... Yeah, I, I think just to add on to to Han's uh, point on RWA, so real assets on on chain, right? I think that that was also a trend for twenty twenty three, right? Uh, and you'll be surprised. So the largest issuers of this is Franklin Templeton, right? <laughs> and, and the largest asset, uh, sort of real asset class on chain, is the US T bills, right? So so it's been a very popular instrument, I'm sure, in in both TradFi and and in crypto as well, as as people you know in crypto look to have. Uh, exposure to to the yields coming from uh, T bills, right? So so that's been interesting, but I think um, you know 
tokenization is just the first step, right? So tokenizing some of these instruments, bringing them on chain, uh, these are things that, you know, people like JP Morgan and, and, and Goldman and all these people have been talking about for, for ages. So now the question is, once you have bring this to- this these instruments onto chain, and then what can you do with those instruments, right? So um, we are definitely seeing... Um, you asked about DeFi earlier. They're definitely seeing DeFi protocols that are starting to want to take advantage of these instruments and sort of build um, things on top of it. I think there was a very interesting uh, paper even published by the Bank of International Settlements about you know whether can I have a foreign currency swap on-chain using sort of Curve-based uh, AMM technology um, because it's been proven to work. So Curve is, 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 is sort of like... A, decentralized exchange that exists on chain is uh, one of the largest and you know the BIS actually took a look at the at the tech and said like actually we could do this too with uh, you know currencies as well <laughs> so so it's perfectly fine i mean like you know all this is open source you can just copy paste uh, but i think that is um, a good sign right that you know both sides the tradfi guys are current, trying to come into crypto and the crypto guys are also you know sort of quite open to to looking at what tradfi can bring to the table as well in terms of instruments and in terms of like yeah risk management and things like that so so i think definitely it's just going to get closer and closer and closer mm. yeah gentlemen it's been a pleasure speaking with the both of you thank you so much for your time no, thanks Roshan. Thanks, Roshan. Folks, I was speaking with Zhong Yanchan, the head of research with the world's largest independent cryptocurrency data aggregator, CoinGecko, a Malaysian-based company that is uh, essentially, as uh, Han put it earlier, the Bloomberg for crypto. And then also Han Liu, founder and CEO of Halogen Capital, the first licensed fund management fund manager in Malaysia, specializing in digital assets. You've been listening to the all-new Enterprise Explores, the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. If you, and if you missed any part of this conversation, you can find the podcast on bfm.my, the BFM app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look up Enterprise Explores. I'm Roshan Kainasin. You're listening to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.